Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today I'm speaking with Davey Johnston. Davey Johnston is a mountain bike and cyclocross racer for PH Mass Paul Mills, a yoga teacher, a cycling coach, a family man, and a UFO witness. He's for the record, he's participated in Trans Germany and the British Cycling Cross Country Mountain Bike Series at Sherwood Pines. You have a very impressive background, Davy. <laughs> it's varied, isn't it? Thank yes. you. Yes. <laughs> so I actually was um, looking at your um, WordPress stuff, and it looked like there was also some stuff in there about mental health that you were touching on. And I noticed that in your Twitter bio, there's an interest in that as well. Absolutely, yeah. I am one of those people who lives with that heady cocktail of anxiety and depression. So I right. have half of me going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I get caught up in that. And then the depressive side of me goes, everything that you've done, everything that you've done and pulls me in. And it's something I... Um, I've learned to live with. I've learned to manage it in just the same way I manage a physical injury. Right. So I have a, I have a degenerative um, problem with um, muscles and bones in my neck. I know how it limits me. I know how I manage it. I have a series of things I do, including my yoga practice that help me with that. And I now have um, five pillars that I adhere to that help me manage my mental health on a day-to-day basis. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's at times been absolutely debilitating where I've not mm -hmm. been able to work. Um, I've not been able to leave the house. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's led me on a journey of self-discovery and recovery. Right. Um, so, I also yeah. feel like, you know, it's once you, um, recognize that there's a physical element to that you're almost a little bit more victorious over it when you realize it is a little bit like having an injury, you know, that you have to let heal. It is a little helpful. I think, you know, I think one of the mistakes we made when we started calling mental health, mental health is what we didn't call it brain health because a lot of that comes from the brain and it's just chemi chemistry, chemicals, um, hormones that are not doing what they're supposed to do. And we, if, you know, I, I've had moments, I think I have um, seasonal affective disorder where when it's gray outside, I just feel really sluggish and don't want to go anywhere. Um, and I've had moments where I just remember, hey, that's just a physical thing. Just overcome it and keep going. Absolutely. One of the key steps on my journey to recovery was realizing that the way I think affects the way I feel and mm -hmm. the way I feel affects the way I think <laughs> and there are elements of this that I can control and there are things I can do to to benefit me and to help me and you talked about seasonal affective disorder one of the first things I did was I bought a lamp I mm -hmm. put it on for 20 minutes every day mm -hmm. in the winter and it helps right they um, also have those cool driving glasses they're like yellow they're for night have you seen them oh, and they brighten no. and they they brighten everything up they call them like night vision or whatever, I guess we can't call them night vision goggles because people <laughs> think, they're, think that they're like infrared or something, but they're like, you know, for night driving. 
and they brighten the whole world up. I recommend people try those too if they need That's them. really good, really good. And the five things that I, I built as my, you know, pillars on which I can maintain this, this balance are really simple, free and easy things that everybody can do. And most people probably do without realizing why they're doing them. So for me, they're really simple things. The first of which is I have to be active. I have mm -hmm. to do something physical, be that riding my bike, my yoga practice. If I can do it outdoors in nature, even better. The second thing I have mm -hmm. to do is I have to take notice of my mood mm -hmm. and just accept it and go, it's okay. There are days when the weather's great, it's cold and I don't feel great. There are days when work gets to me. There are days when things get to me, that's fine. As long as that doesn't go on for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, it's fine. I can accept that. I have to connect with people, talk to people. If can, again, if I can do that face-to-face, -face, that's better. And mm -hmm. I made a decision two years ago to be totally open about my, my mental health illness. Right. And I'll talk openly to anybody who wants to talk to me about it. Some right. might say I'm too open about it, but I don't think you can be. Right. Um, I also have to learn something every week. And that can be as simple as doing a quiz, a crossword. Or it can be reading a book, but it's absorbing new information, processing it is, is another key. And then the final thing that I do out of my, my five pillars is I give. So nothing makes you feel better than helping somebody else, giving to somebody else. And so what better way to lift your mood than right. to be, you know, and I do coaching, I do teaching. So those for me are, are ways that I'm learning I'm connecting with people, I'm outdoors, I'm taking mm. notice of my mood and I'm giving so I can almost, you know, strike them all off. Right. It's so, I love your pillars because I teach kids about happiness um, because when I, what I do with mental health is I basically take therapeutic concepts and try to give um, kids tools to build on skills that are therapeutically related, right? So, um, I teach kids about happiness and you listed so many things that I've told them to do. And actually I got all of that from watching a documentary called happy, or I believe that's what it was called. It was made several years ago, maybe almost a decade ago at this point. Um, and in that documentary, they covered a lot of those things, be around other people, have a purpose, a sense of community, um, exercise, be healthy, um, get enough sleep that's one that people forget that's important that's part of being healthy um and you know sometimes you have to reframe your thoughts the way you think about things try to be more positive and forgiving of yourself right um and and another one that um is something we're going to touch on at some point is just what they call flow which means getting into the zen of your life oh speaking of getting into the zen Here's DJ. Welcome to DJ. Oh, we can't hear you yet. I guess you're not plugged in. Um, so the reason I say there's a segue there is because you do yoga and DJ does yoga. And I would really like to talk about how the yoga helps with getting us into the flow. Hi, uh, I think I think I've got audio and and video and everything now. Uh, it took me a little bit. I was listening to McMillan and then I had to hobble 
over to the computer. Walking is not as easy as it was a couple days ago. Well, I hope you're healing, DJ. Certainly, certainly. Hi, Davey. How are you, sir? I am all the better for seeing you, DJ. And I am so glad to hear that you are back moving and that the recovery from the the hip operation is going well. So continue yes, to rest. Don't push it. Look after it. I will. I no, will, I no, promise. no, no. Super bad the for you today. <laughs> oh, definitely not. That would be one of the scariest poses I could do right now. <laughs> or any lunge where this leg is back. Yeah, but uh, the PT, I could tell the difference in doing PT the last two days. The range of motion is better, and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So yeah. But enough about me. Let's get to Deb's favorite topic in the universe other than me, uh, UFOs. Well, okay. So we were talking about Davey's uh, background and we were talking about his interest in mental health and awareness. Actually, I do have a a point I wanted to address about that. I've noticed uh, there was intense stigma for mental health, which is starting to wear down. We're starting to eliminate that stigma, right? There was intense stigma for UFOs, and that's starting to come down. So eventually, do you think we're going to end up in a place where people are just like, we accept that humans, A, are not perfect and have things that they need to work on, and B, may see some more things than they understand? I think that those are two parallel threads, and I think that actually they may even be interwoven. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that, you know, in my 20 years that I've certainly been living with my mental health issues, I have seen in the last two years a sea change. And mm. COVID and the lockdown and the additional stresses that that put everybody under. Mm-hmm. I, I've returned into my workplace. I'm now one of eight mental health first aiders. Mm-hmm. Before lockdown, I was the only one. Um, and people have gone, oh, this world can be a horrible, dark, scary place. Everybody's had a, I don't say a taste of, of what it can be like, but that's almost what they've had. They've had to experience, they've had to ask different questions, mm-hmm. and that's led to this better understanding of what mental health is and an acceptance that it isn't any different to, a, as we said earlier, an injury or a broken leg or a, or a hip that needs replacing or a hip that needs repairing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just as physical and it's just as real. And what I'm seeing as people are opening up to that, there's actually this opening up to, well, if these things are just as real, that aren't physically real, that aren't in a material reductionist world real and can affect me, what else that might not be real Thank you. in a, in a materialistic sense could there be? Right. And actually, some people who have had experiences have said that it happened when they were having the, a huge trauma in their life. And it, and it makes you wonder, are they just, is it that the phenomenon is picking up on something that we're putting out during trauma? Or is it when we have trauma, we see things differently? Um, I, I've had some traumas in my life, some serious ones, including I'll, I'll put one out there that no one knows that my son was in a NICU for a while. A couple months he had to be in a NICU. That was very traumatic for me. The whole world looked very different to me during that time. It's, it's you just look at the whole world in a different perspective. 
So perhaps trauma is allowing us to see things that we might have missed before. Or maybe we're just putting the brakes on our crazy lives for a minute and opening our eyes. I think there's an element of both of that there that certainly reframing the way we see the world and that can be through a traumatic event it can be through a, a simply shocking event that distorts our worldview or changes our worldview mm -hmm. um, prompts us to ask those questions um, and I also feel that there is this element of like you said just stopping sometimes and going mm -hmm. oh that thread that we are be that story that we're telling ourselves we have to live maybe that isn't the story we're telling ourselves we have to live mm -hmm. um and again you mentioned about destigmatizing the the, the topics mm -hmm. the work that is being done to normalize ufo sightings to and it's moving towards normalizing experiences in that greater sense mm -hmm. is 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 a huge step and a huge sea change again that i've seen move very quickly i know people get very upset that the hearings this week didn't come out and say yes there are aliens we're not alone on the planet this you know they've got stuff in hangar 18 at roswell they don't need to what happens is people's minds are slowly changing and they're becoming more accepting of things around mm -hmm. them um so I first got into this topic way back in the, well, the first book I read, I've actually brought a copy of it with me here. This was published in 1977 and was a, yeah. it's called The Usborne World of UFOs. And it was a standard in all English school libraries. I, I picked it up when I was five. Wow. And was immediately, I love this. So when my, I bought it for both of my children so that they've got oh, no excuse fuck. not to know. <laughs> wow. Um, but I've been following the subject quite intently since the early 90s. And there's always been this feeling that we're on the precipice. Something big's going to happen. I remember during the, the Belgian triangle wave, people going, this is it. This is it. This is the big reveal. We're going to have the big reveal. And I, I genuinely don't think we ever will have a big reveal because it'll be one mind at a time changing, accepting it. And there's not going to be the landing on you know, the White House lawn. Here they are. It's it's our abilities to accept and to see that these things are here around us all the time and, and potentially always have been. And you can see in, you know, we discussed this, I think, last night on our cab chat. You can see that what the video that they presented you could possibly have been the worst UAP video I've ever seen. And and the reason they did that is to say, we've shown you something. We're certainly not going to show you anything that's going to allow you to conclude something from this video. So to use, you know, because Nathan asked about the Jeremy Corbell uh, pyramid video, which I think are authentic. I don't think that's a bokeh effect. Personally, I, I don't. Um, but and I don't have an in, I'm not uh, an imagery analyst or anything like that. I just don't think that. But they could have shown you one that's more compelling that would allow you to conclude it, but they didn't, and that was not an accident. There, there is always a get out. Mm -hmm. There's yeah, always oh, that. Can, there's always can you that see safe it? Spot. It, it's right there. Don't. Can you slow it down? <laughs> I, yeah. Stop. Stop. That's it. Yeah. Well, you know, I I did that for um, a couple of minutes. I had the video. Um, someone had been tweeting it. I did it for a couple of minutes. I was able to pause that thing pretty quick. 
But it doesn't matter, though. You can't conclude it. The whole point is they, they wanted to give you something that you couldn't conclude anything. So if he says they have hundreds of these videos and they gave you the one that would not allow you to conclude. So, well, it's a net positive. The hearings without question are net positive. There's no other way to frame this. However, there's still there's still those cards. They have those whole cards that they're not going to show you. And, th and that was demonstrated right there. And plus your uh, the, the I think uh, McMillan's question that he had on that talk space where he's asking about uh, why didn't someone ask, do you have any examples of uh, flight data that suggests that these are out of the realm of powered flight as we understand it? And no one couched the question quite that way. Right. So what what I can conclude from all of that is the government isn't going to be the key to acceptance, right? Um, and I think a lot of people realize that. I think we're getting the drip method, right? But we're definitely not going to get the standing at the podium saying, so, by the way. <laughs> yeah. and, and, to, and to use an American term, they've turned the spigot. They've opened, they've opened the tap. The flow of water, the flow of options and opportunities for people to get on board and to start to see it and start to understand is far greater and there's a greater level of validation um, i had a discussion with a gentleman at work who has no interest in the topic at all barely knows that i do and came to me and said have you seen the videos they're amazing they're absolutely incredible mm. and i went you think they're incredible but they were for him. They were, they were, you know, there's different levels, different target audiences that they need to bring on board. Right. And I will say that from, from a mental health perspective, this is the healthier way to do it. It may be frustrating. Um, I think we can handle, you know, the nugget a week, the giant nugget a week, like Gary Nolan coming out and having his, you know, information drop on us. Uh, I think we can handle that. But I think the public as a whole, can only deal with a little bit at a time. And, you know, <clears throat> I think that's just how people work. You know, we just, you know, we just need to come to learn of an idea. And we, we actually don't respond as well to being told necessarily. Like some people get really defiant when they're told something. Uh, like, like Kate, like Kate Casey. Um, mm -hmm. She had a completely, so Davey, just to cue you up on what we're talking about. We had on a woman who uh, analyzes reality TV docu-series, uh, True Crime Murder. She's an amazing host and interviewer. And I had her on my old show when I was doing MMA. And, and uh, I kind of touched on a little bit of everything in my old show before Nathan. Well, we had her on and she did push back on the, the narratives that she's looking at five people. And she was happy to push back on what we were trying to tell her. Interestingly... Um, I told her that I've seen some things through my work that are of an official nature and that are, are better than, than what you guys have seen. And um, she said, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I'd like to hear about it sometime. We can have a phone call. And then she just let it be. Last night, she messages Nathan and I and says, hey, do you guys have a link where I could see that movie about the aerial school kids? So little movement. Yeah. Well, that's such an interesting story in and of itself. But before we we touch on that, and I just I know it's like we're jumping around a little bit, but there's so much to cover. I really want to know about your UFO 
experience, Davey. You didn't get a chance to tell us. Like, what brought you to UFO Twitter? So, my first UFO experience was an IFO. I was a very young boy, stood outside my house with my father and my grandfather, and behind my grandfather's shoulder shot what, to me, felt like a lump of light this big, zipped straight across behind his shoulder, and it was a meteorite. But it just made me go, wow. Right. There are things in this world that make you go, wow. And so when we talked, Deb and DJ, about being able to see these things, that, for me, started that opening up and being able to accept that there could be other things in the air. Um, I am fortunate enough to live in an area of North Yorkshire that is a classic UFO hotspot. We have a place called Carlton Moor, which during the 80s and 90s was the scene of UFO flaps galore. There are numerous books written about it. Um, there was a local police officer by the name of Tony Dodd who had yes. sightings of discs and balls of light and everything else. Yes, um, Philip Mantle, the, the writer, he and and Tony and Graham Birdsell and many others in the Yorkshire UFO Society used to go up and do sky watches on this, this piece of moorland. And it's a deserted moorland. There's nothing there apart from, and this, this is a really interesting point, there's a really interesting radio antenna on the hilltop there. And we are, over my shoulder here, about 15 miles behind me, is Menwith Hill, mm -hmm. which is National Security Agency. Yep, RAF. Mm -hmm. And down the road from there, absolutely, was Royal Navy Forest Moor. So we have these listening posts up where I am. We yeah, we knew that this moorland was a UFO hotspot. We would go up in the car, sit there in the evenings and do a sky watch. This was when I was in my late teens, so 17, 18 through to 21, 22. And the police would come up because you parked in a lay-by at the side of the road in the moorland, two o'clock at night. And the police pull up and say, boys, what are you doing? Because the suspicion is you're up there smoking something illicit. That you're We're looking for UFOs, mate. <laughs> That's exactly what we said. <laughs> and do you know what he told me? What? You look, you're looking in the wrong direction. Okay, can we, you give me a vector, please? A compass that, This is exactly what he did. You don't see oh. them up there. You see them here. You see them there. We see them all the time, he said. Wow. Oh, that's so, awesome, man. The yeah. local police were so clued into it that they told me where in told us where in the sky to look. It's really interesting. The police have been great about presenting information. They're obviously not under the same confidentiality obligations. So they're they're coming no out. <laughs> yeah, people who look find reports. You know, there's a lot. And they I would say are still qualified trained observers, you know, pretty steady for the most part, at least 90% of them, right? <laughs> so, yeah, these, these are people we employ to be trustworthy. I mean, <laughs> right. So, yep. yeah, we, so what we would do is me and my, my best friend, we would go up there and I was a photographer at the time and I used to take a, a stroboscopic flashlight. And this is in the days before Stephen Greer and CE5 and all the rest of it and a laser pointer. And I would flash this thing in the direction of where we were told these lights would appear and these lights would appear in That's the sky amazing. and at first there were little orange balls of light and they would move around and then they'd blink out and go 
And we would also see quite often what we initially thought were satellites, because you would see these lights arc across the sky. And we're like, that's fine, that's a satellite. And we realised that whatever we were doing by stroboscopically flashing this super powerful flashlight into the sky was attracting these satellites. Because as I said, we're not far away from two fairly major military intelligence data gathering sites. Fairly understandable if bright lights start flashing in the middle of light, things come in. But we soon realised as well that they weren't classic satellites because they would fly across and stop. And then they move a little bit and stop again and move a little bit. Um, so we built up a bit of a reputation for being these two boys are going up onto the moors, looking at UFOs, seeing these lights in the sky. Word spread, everybody in the in the pub. What did you see last night? Did you see anything? <laughs> you two are crackers. These things aren't real. Okay. <laughs> Come with us. So we brought, on one evening, a group of 12 people, most of whom were absolute stone-cold sceptics. Didn't believe anything we'd seen, didn't believe anything we told them. And we'd been up there an hour and a half, and within 50 feet of us appeared, blink, blink, two classic, as, and again, we're going back to the 90s, they were called O-balls, orange balls of light. People talk about orbs, whatever. These were two orange balls of light. They appeared no more than 50 feet away from us. They tracked the horizon. They moved in tandem. So they moved like that across in front of us and blinked out again and disappeared. disappeared. They were probably 30 feet over the, off the yeah. ground, 50 feet away from us. That's it? There was no, There was no beam of light shining from them. There was no central point. It's as if the whole thing was was illuminated, and everybody just stood for an hour, right? Floors I, I, on the floor, aghast. <laughs> so, what did you? Yeah, I mean, how did how did you process that? What what's what was your? How how were you able to process that as you're as it's happening? So, first thing I thought, it's somebody with a head torch. Then you go, <laughs> no, it's not a head torch, and there's two of them, and it's moving like this. And I, I already had this worldview that UFOs exist, there are aliens flying in from wherever. And I, my brain at that point went, oh, these will be little scout ships or something like that. We like the little globes that you saw under Adamski's UFO or something like that. And everybody, I, I, I again, I had a high-powered spotlight with me. And this is one of the things that to this day I'm still slightly confused about. Um I had this high-powered spotlight with me, and my instinct went light on, and I didn't. Something, something said, "Don't put the light, don't shine this spotlight at them." And I still don't know to that day why I didn't shine the spotlight on them. I guess I didn't need to shine the spotlight on them. It had already shifted everybody else's reality. They had right. their own light. Yeah. Right. And it didn't. It wouldn't have added. It wouldn't have changed anything else about them. Um, and so, yeah, we we spent probably the next six weeks, everybody in that group, pro still trying to process what they saw, what it could have been, and they ran every single you know rational explanation. No idea. What were the discussion points leaving the site? The major discussion points were they put on a show. They came for us because we had this collection collection of skeptics. They came to show 
they came as they they put on a demonstration because it was more than we'd ever seen before, more than I've ever seen since. But I don't need to see more since that was enough, and I think the same for most of them. Um, and in fact, I, I'm I still good friends with with many of them, and it still comes up in conversation. People say, "What do you think it was we saw?" You know, I think that um, the, them coming and doing that show is a common thing that I've heard also. And I told DJ one time I went out and I tried to do CE5 and a white orb, sure enough, showed up, went this way, went that way and disappeared very quickly. It was pretty far up, though. Um, but I, I could have sworn it was like winking at me like, hello. And that was it. <laughs> You know, so I, there's a there's a there's a play. I I I sensed playfulness in in this display. They didn't do more than they needed to do, and there was and the way they moved was. This is something that that again comes back to me a lot. There was an organic nature to their movement. Mm-hmm. There was a a connectivity. A, a, well, and I know we'll talk about this. There was a flow. <laughs> right to their movement they were connected to the earth they were connected to us and again at about that time Hestal in, in Norway was a huge news news article I mean it was making mainstream news because they were doing everything there and there was this theory that there was these things called earth lights that maybe where there's geographical fault uh, yeah fault lines you get these releases of energy but this thing had this thing had a an an organic nature to it. It was beautiful. Talk about the egress real quick of, of the, of the object. Blinked out. So absolutely. It, it, and it, it wasn't like the light went out. Mm-hmm. I always, I think about, you know, Muhammad Ali and I'm so quick. I can switch the light off and mm-hmm. be in bed before the light goes out. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have done it with this. It was instantaneous. And they, and they went, they didn't. They didn't. They were There wasn't a physical object there that was illuminated, mm-hmm. and they turned the light off, and then there was still a physical object there. When the light went out, it was gone. There was gone. Done. That classic blinked out. It 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 went somewhere else. It was not. It was not there anymore. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about that when the orb disappeared. That it maybe actually completely disappeared but it's so it's hard hard to say because there's so many things happening are they cloaking are they using late to travel Mm -hmm. are they playing games are they you know projecting something out are they transforming you know yeah and then you mentioned that it looked organic essentially right and i will be speaking to someone soon about there's the hypothesis that they're living beings and one person that um already uh, Six Killer Clark mentioned in her book when she spoke to the indigenous people, um, he said that he was really ne- like right next to a craft and he was touching it and it felt like it had skin or something. It was like really like it was alive. And some people come out and say like Preston Dennett has um, talked to people who say that these are alive. These craft are not machines like we understand them to be. Some. And we go and we go back to Kenneth Arnold. You know, towards the end of his life, he espoused the view that these things were maybe living, that the craft he saw were, were living critters, I think he called them, in the in the clouds. And I, I, I've i had a sighting in the last two years 
um, that was very similar to that. I, outside my house, looked up and saw about a dozen lights drifting across as if on as if ducks on water floating. And then they blinked out. And again, I that felt to me like, yeah, the, the, the craft themselves are, are a, a living. At, at least one strain of it, because if you listen to what Bob Lazar said, he's describing something different, that it's not mm. it's it's not a sentient craft. It's a it's a physical electromechanical uh, craft. Bolts. Right. Yeah. So it, it just what makes this topic so interesting is there isn't one answer that answers everything. There's, you know, there's this strain and that strain and that strain and that strain. And so we have all these different hypotheses to play with. And that's why we're not going to run out of things to talk about anytime soon. <laughs> Never, ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of all of the above is my answer. All right. of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Why, why limit it by our understanding of the, our current understanding of the universe? Why try and impose our rules upon something that clearly either has a better understanding of them than we do or simply doesn't obey them. Yeah. Yeah. I'll obey them. That, 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 that resonates when I think about flight characteristic does not obey. You know, one of the interesting things I was going to say this on the talk space and it shows how human we really are and how we look at everything in the prism of what our current understanding is. So I'm talking to Chris Lado, uh, or we were talking to Chris Lado, and He's a higher level aviator than I was. And he goes, I don't understand why that when Ryan Graves is describing the gimbal, he didn't say it. it's banking left. And I said to him on that show, it's because we associate bank with a fixed wing aircraft, something that has six degrees of movement and freedom. But uh, if you have a disc, it's not banking. It's rotating because there is no wing surfaces. There's no front and there's no there's no nose, there's no tail, there's no wings. So yeah, it's rotating. And it, it is pivoting sense. pivoting on its axis. Yes. As, you, as opposed to that forward momentum and bank that you, you refer to exactly with a fixed wing aircraft. Yes. And that's yeah. Chris Lado saying that. So that should show you that someone who believes in the phenomenon, who's steeped in aviation, but yet he's looking through it the prism of how humans understand powered flight fire Bernoulli's theorem and Newton's laws of motion and all that. Yeah. And I totally and understand he, why. He and said, he's describing it in his contextual framework of language that he understands to do yeah. that. Yeah. Bank in order to have a bank, man, we need to have wings. We're probably going to have some ailerons to create that banking uh, inertia and movement. You know, well, this yeah. thing doesn't have any of that. How does it do that? We don't have anything on earth that can do that. So, uh, <clears throat> Speaking of, you know, weird movements, I'm going to take a 90 degree turn right here and get us to one of the theories that really interests me that I really want you both to engage on, me? which is, yes, both yeah. of you. So yeah. the one of the ones that people really um, address is the consciousness aspect. Of course, we think that there's something going on there, be it we're getting something projected to us or we're communicating with consciousness. Some people go as far to say that some of these objects are only something we're consciously seeing, right? Which is, you know, that it's it's a hard one to swallow for some people, but that's part of it, right? Or or that these objects look like something we consider and they like create what they look like based on what we want it to look like, right? So there's 
so many things going on, which, by the way, that one's hard to have hold up because we've had saucers all along. We've had mm -hmm. all of these shapes all along. So that one's not my favorite. But anywho, you both do, <laughs> you both do something very important. You both do yoga and you reach different levels with that. And I wanted to like, actually, if you remember, Davey, it's one of the reasons I invited you to come on the Indeed. dojo because you were talking about the flow and you you know the different levels and i wanted you guys to get a chance to talk about what that what that puts you into what state that puts you into and what whether or not that helps you to grasp something either spiritually or consciously or whatever um that other people may not understand or are not accessing yeah so part of the original my you know ufo sightings that we used to have up on the moor me and my best friend would sit in the car and we would let our minds drift. We would let our minds go blank. We would get into that moment of between sleep and awake. And again, you hear of artists who would hold a key in their hand. And as they were falling asleep, drop the key, that would wake them up. That would be their moment of creativity and inspiration. And I, again, through CE5 protocols, I believe that's the same kind of mind state that people are trying to access through meditation and they, they, you know, through C5, if you listen to the likes of James Ayandoli, it's to, it's to help them clear the mind, to help them connect. And I love James. He's an absolute legend. Um, Shout out, James. James ah, we all love James Ayandoli. <laughs> so I think there's a, a big piece there that is actually, we're tuning our frequencies. So DJ, you said something when we were talking about something we said, how it resonates. And my belief is that throughout the universe, there are these frequencies, these patterns, these rhythms, these sacred geometries that we can tune into or that can help us become more aligned and can help us tune in. And in some senses, they are a way of us filtering out the daily chatter. And we said earlier on, Deb's about, Deb, about um, we stop for a moment and we look at the world differently. That's what these states encourage us to do. And there's an introspective element of it. But that introspective element opens us up to an external element of the world as well. And, and that's how you got them. I'm sorry, Deb. That's how you got them to come in and make a display. Right. And Gary Absolutely. Nolan has been doing like some science on that part right now. Like a lot of people are debating, is he looking at the part of the brain where some of that's happening? Yeah, yeah Gary, so... what are you looking at, man? Now we're going to get he to can, ask him. He, he's he can scan my... Brilliant. He can scan my cord eight putaiman any day. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I, we will make sure to give him your details. Uh, <laughs> uh, about the consciousness aspect of it. I, you know, no, none of us can say this enough. It's important not to become too rooted and dogmatic in one theory. And this is why. If we have a tic-tac, and, and if I listen to, like, for instance, what Grant Cameron told us, okay, everything's consciousness. It's all consciousness. It's nothing but consciousness. It's total consciousness. It's consciousness, consciousness, consciousness. Oh, okay, well, let's take a look at that. So I have a SPY-1 radar that is seeing a tic-tac. So is the consciousness of the radar being affected by the craft? And then I have a sensor image that correlates 
to what they saw on the Spy One radar, one of the most advanced radars in the world at the time, and a, and a sea, seaborne vehicle probably still is. Uh, and then I have Mark One eyeballs that also saw that. And by the way, I've also seen that uh, as well. So if that's the case, and not to mention the fact that it was on like an operational mission. It's hovering above the water. There's some sort of a submerged something that it's interacting with. And that's not all consciousness, buddy. I'm sorry. It's just not. No. Yeah. Does, that, does that mean that there aren't other objects that are based in consciousness or that a craft has a con? No, it doesn't mean that that's not true. But when you try to put everything in one box, you will leave something out. Guaranteed. Absolutely. Because you are putting it in your dogma. You said, I need to believe this. And this is what is going to be my belief. And then I'm going to apply that to every tangent of the phenomenon. Can I, yeah. can I chime in on this? I think of it more like if I had to say what I think is going on with consciousness, I feel like it's more like you're connecting to an, a, a universal Internet. You know, when you get there, when you do it with yoga, which we still have to get to you, I really want you guys to talk about how that happens. But but when you when you get there, it's like you're chiming in. You're part. You're you're getting on that universal internet. You're connecting to those nodes. You're getting some information because it's funny when you said the thing about the artist dropping the key. I'm like, well, you know that you mention it. It is often like that when I meditate. It's like I don't have to do it long. I just chime in. It's like I'm logging into the internet, right? <laughs> I get a quick message, guys. I've like exercised while meditating like i don't know what other people do like people always say clear your mind i've gotten angry and my intentions were not happy like that's how i got my job i went and meditated i spoke to what i thought was a god source i said i need more money the next day i was offered a job um I i'm telling that. you like i love that yeah Deb's people, amazing. People, i feel like if maybe i'm gonna i would like gary nolan to scan that part of my brain too maybe if <laughs> okay gary if, we have number two for you we have baby <laughs> and deb will will pass you their details right so i just feel like if you have maybe just like that connection to that universal internet maybe you get a lot more and like people who are willing to give it a try or exercise that part of their brain or their consciousness whatever you want to call it they're getting something else they're getting more let me Perfect. talk about yogic flow, uh, flow state for one second. So in yoga, one of the things that people have to understand is this is really all this asana practice that we're doing is all in preparation for meditation. That's how yogis do it. The third limb of yoga asana is really about getting prepared for limbs four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. So even my students here, uh, and I'm, I'm a yoga student, but I also teach. So I go to class, I take class, I learn, and I teach class. And I remember some when I really was able to get, I tell them every time, combine your breath with movement. The breath is the vehicle that gets you from one posture to the other posture. And if you do that, you're going to find that you're not stretching and you're not working out, that you are flowing. And the times that I've done it, I've seen the look on their face. I know when they've gotten there, and it's what... I try to achieve when I go to practice when I don't have to run my mouth the entire thing and I could just be a student, which is what I love about being a student more than being a teacher. Absolutely. The breath is the thread upon which your yoga asana poses are hung. It runs through everything. And it, it, it exactly as DJ said, it's a preparatory step and it's a move, um, a combination of movement and breath 
to unite you, to balance you, to tune you in readiness for those moments of joy, those moments of clarity, those moments of introspection. And there's different stages to each of those as well as, as we move up those eight limbs of yoga. I, I, I tell people, Davey, that when you arrive in a posture, I tell them, ask yourself the question, what can I find here? It's a rhetorical question. So you, you know, you start, what can I find here? Are my fingers like this? You know, I'm going to try to get my hands on camera. Or am I really energizing through my fingers? Do I have, if I were in Warrior Two, can I get my drishti, my stare out over my center finger? And if you ask yourself that question, what can I find here? You're not going to be waiting for the instructor, the guide, if you will, to be telling you the next thing to do. Because I'm going to go at my pace, focusing on me, and I'm going to try to find everything there is to find on that iteration. Maybe different, totally different in the next iteration. And if you do that and you, you're mindful of your breath, you really start to get into that flow state. And that's what's beautiful about about. Uh, yoga it's an hour focus on you and nobody else we're doing it in a collective environment but it's it's done in a group environment but really you're focusing on on connecting your breath movement and your headspace will will follow absolutely i i had a moment with a a relatively new student that i'm teaching because exactly the same as you i'm a teacher i'm a student and every time i teach i learn um but I had a student in class who's relatively new, only been practicing recently. And I watched that moment where he dropped into it. And I, yeah, beautiful. I could see his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I knew he's tuned in. You know, he's hit it. He's got it. And it, it's a, it's a, a moment of grace as a teacher to, to help have helped facilitate that student finding themselves in that place as well. Cause you know, from there, they can grow yes. in any which way they want. Yes. Can I do a dojo moment? Sure. Okay, here we go. So for people who are not aware, the word prana is the swelling breath of life. Mm -hmm. And the reason I learned that is because I took Asian art. And that's it seems like an odd place to learn that. But when you look at um, India, the prana is all, all of their artwork is robust it's all about life and um bringing life into the world yes yes dj let uh let, i'm gonna let uh davy yeah, uh, comment absolutely. on the prana life force i'll be right back okay yeah and, and prana is is commensurate with the likes of chi and ki and mm -hmm. it, it is this essential flowing force that flows through everything um and i coming from my competitive sports background as a cyclist, I've mm -hmm. had those moments where when I'm racing the bike, you, you, the, the Belgians would say you have diamonds in your legs or you have a no chain moment where everything you're, you're almost effortless despite all of the effort you're putting in. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't realized that again, what I'm doing in that moment is I'm aligning the body. I'm doing that mm -hmm. physical exercise. I'm controlling and taking um, awareness to my breath mm -hmm. and I'm again this is where I get a little bit caught with Grant Cameron and he's all oh, you got to disengage it's all the left brain all the left brain it isn't it isn't all the left brain it's balance mm -hmm. it's the harmony of all together if you go too far down the left brain it's too far down anyway you know we, we are we have this balance and so yeah I realized that I I 
quite often in, in a sporting sense, be that running or cycling had achieved that flow state. Mm. And there's research being done now by the likes of uh, Andrew Huberman into through neuroscience and fMRI scanning, how the brain and the body reacts to get us right. into flow state. And there's theories that it's things to do with, with frame rate. So if you think about watching a film mm -hmm. and the scene doesn't change much, it calms you, brings you down. Right. You watch a film where there's lots of scene changes, bam, bam, mm -hmm. bam, bam, bam. It lifts your mood, agitates you, you become distracted. And there's a, a theory that, that um, he espouses that getting into flow state is a result of us, us things moving past our eyes at a frequency mm -hmm. similar to running. Because in our right. early, early stages, we would have been running to hunt or running away from something. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, we needed pure focus, pure clarity, nothing else. Mm -hmm. like and so was this... Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And, and, and I, I'm beginning to realize again through my yoga practice that there are different types of, of flow state. Mm -hmm. And there are flow states that allow absolute narrow focus, tunnel vision focus. And mm -hmm. there are flow states that allow openness. Right. I, and I think, okay, so one thing I have noticed is I think, you know, we got the yogis who spent so much time just sitting there meditating and they were supported to do that, exercising this, getting into, the, let's call it again, that the internet of the universe all the time, right? Trying to access and once you, they figure out how to do it, that's what they did. And it was amazing that people supported that. Then we have people who are doing yoga. And then we have people who are trying to meditate with different um, types of music. There's different ways, I think, for people to access this. Um, and you have to find the one that works for you. I've sent DJ uh, a track that works for me, but almost any other track does not. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, other tracks don't work. But that one that I sent uh, DJ uh, some time ago, I don't know if you remember, DJ, it was the link Ramirez. to just some... Um, it, it was just some music. Um, that works for me really well. Um, I tried listening to um, the CD that was put out by the Monroe Institute, and I don't think that's going to work for me. Hmm. <laughs> I just don't. It's it, and it's interesting that you know that, or you suspect that already. Yes. Because I'm the same. I have things that I that to me are a, a shortcut. Mm -hmm. And there are certain pieces of music that can do it for me. There's a, a German electronic artist who I had the pleasure of meeting a few months ago. And I said to him, your music is the sound I hear in my dreams. Wow. wow. Because it is. It's wow. the background sound to, to... And I again, I feel that he is tuning into that frequency of the universe. Mm -hmm. The sound of the spheres, the those rhythms, those patterns that, that underlie everything, you know, and, and we, we, we often think about things that, you know, there's the same rhythms and patterns or shapes and forms in the macro mm. scale are repeated on the micro scale. And I really do think that there are these underlying form and, and a yoga practice is a, an underlying form, right? a martial arts practice. Cause again, we think about martial arts, mm -hmm. the original martial arts are a mind body soul practice they're not a physical external practice right. there are these very yeah exactly there are these ways of of connecting again 
Right. I, I was more uh, of a Tai Chi person. And I think the reason for that is when I've done Tai Chi, I, I have told uh, people also, I feel like the like electrical surges through the body. Right. So because we know yeah. we're very electrical beings. I don't think it's necessarily anything woo. Um, and when I do Tai Chi, I can feel me being able to move them. And it's funny because what happens if I try to do yoga is I end up just kind of combining yoga and Tai Chi. I stop watching the instructor. I just so start... what? Yeah, that's exactly. It. You've, you've so found what? it. I, yeah, that's great. I, I, I have a yoga teacher who teaches yoga and Tai Chi combined. And she was actually my gateway into yoga. Right. Because so, I, I, I too had done Tai Chi and I, I love that electric tingle and that ability right. to, to move the, the, the non-physical physically. It, it really spoke to me. So and, that, I love that you found that, Deb. That's beautiful. Right. And the people who um, are really interested in that, they have a lot of names for that. We've, we've said some of them, but also like there's people like um, Reiki healers are trying to access that and be able to use it there's people who are using tuning forks and what they call the biofield to try to access and understand and use that system within us but what i'm coming away with just from what we're talking about is that you have to take what you are given and try to tune it to get to that place and not everyone's going to do it the same way like for instance i i know you guys are going to be appalled by this but I don't breathe very well and I can't, but I'm I not, can... I'm not appalled by that. Right. I, no, nobody, you learn this. This is not something you're born with. You have to understand that. It's like, I, I almost, I can almost say that I probably should have surgery or something. I can almost not breathe through my nose. Right. So <laughs> I feel like, I think that really would be not the way for me, you know, the let, breathing. Let me talk about this for a second, Deb. Right. I want you to watch me inhale. Watch my nose. Watch this. You see how my nose collapsed? Mm -hmm. Watch it. Watch my nose. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what you're going to find out when you have a breathing practice, particularly like this is what the Wim Hof helps out with it. Davey's been tracking all the crap I'm doing with Wim Hof. So what happens is, is you have to gain you, you know, you've gotten to know a lot about yourself. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's part of what makes you Deb. You understand your body very well, mm -hmm. but with the breathing. So if I'm going to take a deep inhale, I'm using, I'm not allowing my nostrils to constrict so that I can open my bronchial tu uh, tubes as, and my nasal tubes rather as wide as I can get them. And then I'm going to exhale through that same vessel. And I'm going to teach myself through that way, and you can teach yourself through that way, of making yourself use the body's K&N filter. If we're talking about performance cars, back to Elizondo again. <laughs> so so you, it's not something that we're born with. It's something that we teach ourselves, and it's part of this self-discovery trip that you've been on all along that you've learned how to do all these other things. And once you do that, um, it will help your everyday breathing. I'll even send you a breathing app, so... Yeah, I, I remember, I think it was Vegas, they had like those oxygen things, mm -hmm. right, where you can like put oxygen and I was like, oh my God, I can breathe so much better now. I wish I could do that all the time. So maybe I should do the breathing app. <laughs> you know what? Better yet, I'll send you a book from Amazon of the, that guy that was on with Joe Rogan about the breath. I, I It's The Art of the Breath. Mm -hmm. I think it's called, um, he was on with Joe Rogan. I'll send you that book. So that you can explore it and, and kind of find out. Right. I mean, because the yogis, they said they would uh, put the finger sensors on there and they could make one finger get warmer than the other through breath. 
by directing wow. their breath to that particular digit. So there's a lot here, but you have to start somewhere. By the way, my dad was just telling me in our uh, weekly family Zoom that he has an apnea machine now to give him more oxygen at night, and yeah. it has taken away his lucid dreams. What do you think that's about? Wow. Interesting. Dots Maybe there's a connection. Dots. Yeah. I mean, more oxygen meant less lucid dreams. What is that? That's a really so, interesting question. I don't know. I, again, in, in my late teens, early, early 20s, practice lucid dreaming by the simple technique of every time you wake up, write down your dreams, write down your dreams, write down your dreams until you start to think about where you're going in your dreams. And I would quite often be in a dream and go, right, oh, dream time. Good. Where are we going tonight? What are we going to do? And I do, do remember on one occasion doing a, a dream, lucid dream flyover of Menwith Hill and Forest Moor. And getting a a metaphor a metaphorical slap on the wrist. <laughs> I, in my dream, yeah, I felt yeah. somebody say, uh, uh, "Don't come in here, boy! Don't go!" Uh, uh, uh. So uh, we haven't touched on remote viewing, but I do wonder whether there's a again there's in that lucid dream you may be accessing those other, like you said, the universal consciousness, the great internet, the akashic record, the uh, whatever this this thing is so yeah there we are but i'd love to know more about the impact well, of his lo losing his lucid dreaming right you know of course people say uh smoking a lot of marijuana also affects dreams so you have to wonder is it again we are like a tuning fork and we need to know our own abilities to tune in to things and we're going to lose access if we just change something you know like so I think that's an interesting thing to ponder. I think everyone is, I just hate it when people are saying you have to clear your mind. No, you don't. You do not have to clear your mind. You just right. have to find it yourself. And you can sometimes literally physically feel it when you get there. So I just, I think people have to be a little more open-minded. So um, we, I guess we should address a little bit more about the phenomenon. I know we got like, really, I think this is important because it helps us connect to that. Right. But I guess we should go back to really getting into the phenomenon in particular. So why do you think um, the phenomenon um, is linked to all of this? Why do you think people end up here in these, in these conversations? When we start? Yeah. Why do we end up here every time? I, my view on this has, has changed over the years and will change, you know, as often as I change my underpants probably, but um, <laughs> I, I really am beginning to think that these are just things that are here. In just the same way that we're constantly finding new species, we've learning about the subatomic and the super subatomic levels and the, beyond that, I really think that these are things that occupy the same space as us. And that maybe that there's it's an interdimensionality, it may be that it's another reality. I, I really do think that these things are are always here, always have been here. And I, again, having been into this subject since the 90s, it's always felt like we were on the the doorstep of, of something really, really big. And so when I see people say, this time next year, it'll be, we'll have complete disclosure and everybody will know what it is. I really don't see it. I just do not. I've heard it 30 times, you know, over the course of nearly 30 years, 25 years, certainly. Um, I, I think these things are here. 
and I, I don't think we can close our minds off to what they are. Um, and I get, I don't get caught up in the whole conspiracy theories of they're here because of nukes. Well, they're not, because we've destroyed so there's been so many nuclear bombs that have been done during testing, and we've had them in Korea, we've had them in Israel. You know, they're not here because of that. And I think we take a lot of our own messaging from the fact that there's something bigger than us. So, you know, we, we often hear that there's this environmental message that's being given. And we go back to the other kids at Ariel School and, and, and Whitley Strieber and everybody else, don't destroy the planet. I think that comes from us, that don't destroy the planet, because we start to realise our place on the planet as we start to realise our bigger place or our smaller place in the universe as well. Yeah, they could just be saying, um, be better. And we might be translating it as, oh, well, to be better, we have to do this, this, and this. It might be making us more introspective, is what you yeah. kind of are implying, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it takes us from the top of the tree, this whole, you know, aren't humans great? Give yourself a pat on the back, as Bill Hicks used to say, to we're just another, we're another part of a huge scale of things that, that exist mm -hmm. in the universe. And when you do that, you begin to think about how your your place in your surroundings. Right. And do you think that if people connect to that, again, that universal Internet, right, we might be able to discover just how small and big everything is? Absolutely. And in many ways, the Internet itself has done that because it's mm -hmm. allowed that flow of knowledge. And it's that's one of the things that's accelerated the awareness of the topic and the subject and it's limited control um, mm -hmm. because there are controlling factors. And again, mm -hmm. I don't want to get onto the whole conspiracy thing, but listening to Diana Walsh-Pasulka talk earlier this week with, with Kurt Jai Mungle and she's talking about Plato's cave. And for her, the key thing was the the people in Plato's cave who were seeing the shadows dancing on the wall that they believe is their reality. They're tied into that cave. And she was asking that question we shouldn't necessarily be taking the, the, the more common part of Plato's cave in that there's this reality here. And when we step out of it, there's a bigger reality, but we're not, we don't, we're not ready for it. She was asking the question, who's tying us? And we tie ourselves, but there are also controlling factors. There are groups that want to control the populace for their own gain. There are religions, there are governments, there are other things that want to control and limit us. Let me let me bring it back to what her question was, though, because what her question was is why does it always come back to consciousness? Why does it start there and come here? And the reason I think that is, is because how do you how does anybody before there was such a thing as ufology? How do you connect to something that you can't see? Some people have never seen it. People like you two have seen it. I've actually seen one, but for a very brief second. But uh, but how do you. So if, if we were talking to a religious person a thousand years ago or in the time of Christ, they would say, I'm praying. I'm praying to God. I'm connecting to God through my consciousness. So nothing's changed. Everything that we can't see, touch, smell, feel, taste with any of these senses, we're going to say, well, I'm connecting with it or, I, or I'll try to go ahead and figure out how to connect with it, like James Iandoli, through 
ding, ding, ding. Don't you have a bell, Debs? Um, <laughs> uh, through consciousness. So, so I think that's why it always eventuates in this place is because uh, it's, how, it's what we've always done, whether we're talking about religion uh, or ufology, which a lot of people think is going to become a religion, and maybe it will. I don't know. But anyway, that's why I think it always comes back there. And actually, you know, it made me think one of the things that we also do is when we do those things, we kind of go within. And uh, when people get really into the woo, they say you have to go within. So it's not even an external thing. Like you, like you can get all the answers inside. And you, you know what, though? I will say, though, before you respond to that, is if you want to take it into a scientific place, some people say that might have something to do with our DNA, that everything is within, that it's actually encoded. And some other people say that we were built that way, but that's a whole other conversation. Isn't it just? <laughs> yeah, that that yeah, that's an interesting, it's an interesting concept, you know. And that's what Deb does. Her and her other super twin, uh, Priscilla, they bring up interesting concepts, man. And when we think about things like you know the double helix of the the DNA, to me that shouts this is another one of those natural structures that are repeated because you hear the talk that the the aerial antenna that they use for interstellar communication is the same helix spiral so to me that says yeah these are these innate intrinsic patterns and rhythms that that underlie everything and all it all we're talking about there is again a literally if you lie it on its side it's a curve it's a frequency it's a pattern a rhythm and so when you, we talked about, again, people accessing consciousness and praying in a church, a church is built in a certain location and they're built with certain um, architectural structures and patterns because those are the patterns that, that we're built upon as well and the universe is built upon and so that we're, we're connecting all of those things through the same piece. So I, I, that idea that the, the DNA is a, a part of this doesn't surprise me at all and feels feels real feels like the right direction by the way davy that's how we've designed cab episodes we've designed them like alternating current up into comedy down into seriousness <laughs> up into comedy down into seriousness and that's what we try to achieve with each show successfully or unsuccessfully is, is that why maybe uh, nathan was pushing to change the order of things in future cab episodes now that you mention it that makes more sense I don't, yeah, I don't remember what, what that was, though, but right. you'll have to t let me know later. <laughs> no, we don't so, want to go to inside cab on the dojo. Okay, I don't so know. What, but... so, so what you're doing with cab is you're creating a flow. Yeah, sine wave, right. Sine wave, yeah. <laughs> alternating current. Yeah, because if you're too serious, well, then, you, I mean, there are a lot of people that are doing shows that are super serious. And it doesn't fit. It's not authentic, right? Just like you making a yoga practice and you sound, oh, how strange is that? Exactly like the teacher who you did your YTT with. Um, you want to become, take the tools that you've learned from all these people and become the Davy yogi, not the, you know, strand. Absolutely. Of yeah. I, I had a call with my yoga teacher this week and we talked about that truth of who you are as a teacher. You teach from your experience. You teach your word, your message, your voice. You know, she didn't want to create 12 mini Heathers because there's already a Heather. Right. She wanted a Davy and then and a Hannah and a Izzy and these people go out. And we were talking about this this week and she was saying, you will get people that come into your class 
who it just doesn't fit. It doesn't right. work. And it's not you. It's not anything you're doing. And they go away and they don't come again. And that's yep. fine. And I said, well, I completely understand this because I've been, I, one of my, my best, my wife's best friend is a yoga teacher and has been for nearly 20 years. And she was always saying to me, Dave, you should do yoga, Davey. It's perfect for you. You are, boom. She might have been talking, might as well have been talking to a brick wall. And then one day I woke up and it was during the, one of the worst episodes of my um, depression and anxiety. And my wife said to me, come to yoga class with me. And I sat there and exactly as you said, DJ, I had an hour with nothing else. No thoughts of what's going to happen afterwards. Mm -hmm. What's happened before, just there, present. And I went, oh, got it. And I had to come to that time and that place. And I had to be ready for it and open for it. And so again, you know, we, talking with my teacher, we, we were talking about my message is being broadcast. And there are people who are flicking, still flicking through the radio channels. And my message isn't their message at the moment. And there will be people that, that it is the message. And my message will change over the years as well. So it will always change and evolve. And I don't get hung up on, oh, well, somebody came to my class and they didn't come back. Fine. Ha- yep, prob- go to somebody else's. It's totally fine. You just As long as you're doing you, that's all. that's all, as the cars would say, it's all I can do. And, you know, it just reminds me of what you've said about uh, just people coming to any content. Everyone has to find what works for them, right? Yes. Cab is not for everyone. Right. And then everyone has to tune in to what is going to be good for them and what they're going to resonate with, right? And then ultimately, we all have to learn to accept that about ourselves and accept some really interesting things about ourselves that are not going to be perfect and they're certainly not all going to be easy so i think you know that's kind of the overall um thing that we learn just going through this subject and it's it's almost like the subject of ufos is simultaneously the subject of humanity and that was yes brought up by nathan recently too right the best and worst play out in our community right and we just have to learn uh, ultimately the people who have gotten to that point where they have accepted, you know, they've accepted things are at a different level than the people who aren't there yet. Yeah. And I think if, if you have an intention of what you want to bring to the space, just like you have an intention of what you want to bring to the yoga space, you can do the same thing with this community. There are people that don't like me. There are people that I don't like. There are people I don't want to interact with. And for me to say anything different would be completely inauthentic and phony. However, it's what I put out in public because I'm human. I'm going to have my own feelings about what people have said on their shows or done or that I disagree with. Who cares? doesn't matter. But what you bring to the space, and I found that the more and more we pull back from interacting with people in a negative way based on what they say. And you, you just had to check somebody last night. Um, uh, the more that we do that, the happier we are as people. Every time we have to engage in a negative way, it's like it sticks to you like napalm and you just you don't want that. So so I I don't even I don't go out and search out for uh, for anybody that said anything. Deb happened upon something last night and um, and she checked that person. But it's just and then when we talked about it, how did we all feel, Deb? I felt like uh, we got something off our chest that we sometimes bottle up personally. I felt oh, better. Okay. Well, there you I, go. So 
I think everyone Damn needs- therapist, man. She know what she talk about. Yeah, I- we, we can't just ignore and act like people aren't hurtful. And I think that's the yeah. reason people get mad, by the way, because they feel hurt. I think that's yeah. the... Yes. Uh, they don't just, you know, they're not just mad. They're just, there's a reason for that anger. If you hurt someone, they get angry. It's the yeah. defense thing. Yep. So, but anyway, I think that, you know, the the subject of the UFO community as a whole is a whole complicated thing. And my 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 point has always been acceptance. I think I've always come with the perspective that these aren't going to be perfect people. They're not all going to be on the same page. They're all going to have flaws. And I think uh, not everyone's there yet. <laughs> so yeah, there's different levels to everything. There's things that are that are quite tolerable. <laughs> And there are things that are intolerable, and I'm not going to outline those here, uh, but I think you know what I'm talking about. So it's 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 really comes down mm-hmm. to an intention, and if you have an intention to be to be specifically hurtful, and create artwork that is specifically hurtful to an individual that that is in our space, then you know you really need to look at at what you're doing, because there will be some people who will champion you based on their dogma that you share with them, but that doesn't make it right. And because we all know what's right and we know what's wrong. I have sent out tweets and said things that I knew were wrong. And that's why I don't do it anymore. Well, I, you know what I have to say, I, I, I know I'm going to segue a little, cause I want to get back to Davey, but Davey, I noticed when I was, you know, preparing your intro that you don't talk about your experiences on Twitter much. So I think you are aware that we have to be careful. Um, in the community, I, I've noticed that, like, from what I, I was just like going back a little yeah. bit, I and even on your WordPress, you didn't really talk about it. So it's almost like you're still having to protect it. Very much so, very, very much so. And I said earlier about, you know, I have colleagues at work that know I'm a, and this, this is this this is a really interesting thing that we talked at the start of this about stigmatization of it. I still refer to myself as a UFO nut. Mm. You're you know, a nutter. I, I be, I'm a U. I'm a nutter. UFO nutter. <laughs> I'm a UFO nut, and I'm slowly starting to go. No, I'm not a UFO nut at all. No, I'm somebody who's seen and strange things. That's you all fit. It is. You fit perfectly with Deb, myself, Cab, yeah. and a whole bunch of our friends. <laughs> By the way, Max. Right? We're all like. Yeah. We're all like this. Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's something that I'm slowly learning to 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 to, to say to people. Yeah, this is just another part of me. And I, again, I, I I was discussing this with my yoga teacher this week. And she said to me, did I know that? And the fact that she said to me, did I know you're a UFO witnesser and experiencer? Says to me, I need to be more open about it. And just as I've been, I said at the start of this conversation, Deb, in terms of my mental health, I took a, a decision two years ago to be probably too open about it and to talk to anybody and everybody about it and be open to anybody who wants to talk to me about it. I need to do the same with my UFO world and UFO life because the two are the same. They're not different parts of me. Right. They are all me. Right. And I think, yeah, again, acceptance, right? Accept yeah. yourself. You have to accept yourself. And, you know, I, I actually have spoken to a lot of people on this subject um, that, you know, you would think that I would not, but I've spoken to other therapists at work, right? I let them know I was interested. Um, I've spoken to my family, which can be a challenge. I've even, you know, I've spoken to my kids, but very lately, because I really don't like to guide their um, thoughts too much. Um, I, I'm really one of those people, I, I've never pushed much on them when it comes to 
what they want to believe, right? Or opinions. Um, so I, I've found that sometimes the response is, oh yeah, me, I've seen that too, you know, rather than, oh, that's ridiculous. And I think as long as, you know, people know who you are, they can hear what you have to say. And knowing who you are, when you're talking to people who know you and trust you and love you, adds, like we said it to the, at the start, that ability to, to remove the stigma and to make it an open and, and simple discussion. And ultimately will lead to, God, we'll never get that big disclosure, but that will lead to more people having that understanding and seeing and accepting it just the way that we do. Well, and you know what the end result of that will be? It will be, okay, well, UFOs are part of nature. They're part of the universe. And that's a lot safer place for us than the people who are scared right now. Um, there are lots of people who are scared of the technology, the superiority of that technology, what it could all mean, how it interferes with their original belief system. You know, so I think just going, oh, it's just part of nature is a safer place for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's a harder, it's a, a hard place for a lot of people to accept because there's this, you know, great human dominance with the top of the tree. Mm-hmm. But once we, once people see that and accept that that might not be the case, that actually puts our position in the, the pecking order of the universe a lot better. And we'll probably encourage people to treat the planet, each other themselves better as well. Right. Well, you know, you keep hearing about the idea of having an outside influence might unify us a little more. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but, you know, it's it keeps being brought up. Well, if that event happens that you've discussed before, Deb, then I think it, it could be that. And that's that irrefutable existential in front of news cameras hovering craft over a major city where you have several different news networks covering it live as it's hovering there, something like that, it, it, it could possibly. And particularly if it then happened over another city or if it happened over multiple cities in multiple continents, that, that, that could provide the impetus for humans saying, hey, you know what, this war in Ukraine isn't so important. Uh, and not that we know that it isn't already, but in, in the minds of uh, Putin and his followers, clearly it is. But... Uh, yeah, I think that could happen, but it's going to take something like that. And by the way, Davy Deb hasn't let this this out yet, but she thinks that that irrefutable um, sort of contact event is coming sooner rather than later. Yes, and you know, if you're, I've also been hearing people talk. There's going to be like a geometric shift that is very natural for the planet, um, or I should say, a geomagnetic, right? Geomagnetic mm-hmm. shift. Um, and I, I don't know what that's going to mean. I, I feel like I need to talk to someone who's more into science about the planet uh, to understand. And uh, our magnetic fields change all the time. Um, so it seems like I wonder if that lines up maybe with what's happening because we are electrical beings. Like maybe there's something we're sensing. Um, we're electrical beings in an electrical universe. I mean, the whole movement of energy is is just that isn't it right so i have to wonder if you know it's almost like uh how do i put this it's like what if we're like a battery and you know like our batteries are changing a little bit or getting triggered by something external you know like a magnet on the outside you know 
I don't know. I just feel like something is uh, eminent. And I do feel like um, a lot of people have said that. But then I've, I have to say cynically, other people have said they've always heard that. They've always said it's going to be eminent. And you mentioned that earlier, right? So, so that's a little discouraging. But I feel like um, when we're doing that act the, that might be like a prayer, it might be a connecting to the universal internet, um, some of us are trying to offer options for that to happen. Um, how can we do this in a way that's safe? How can we do this in a way that's helpful and gets us to the next place? Yeah, James, safe. Did you hear her? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and activities like this are part of that process. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. in the in the 25, 30 years I've been looking into the subject, investigating it, there haven't been these avenues. There hasn't been this, op- yeah, these avenues to do it. Mm-hmm. So we are moving. We are changing, definitely. So who's to say we couldn't have that moment that just goes, bam, yep, everything changes. Because right. that, again, they happen in time. We look at we look at the history of numerous different civilizations that have gone out in a light. Right, and they've they've gone and left where they were. They just abruptly left, and there's no reason for no explanation, you know. So you have to wonder. We've also had a lot of civilizations that have encountered supposed sky beings, and that has influenced them. You have to wonder, is it time again for that to happen? Is it going to happen? Is it going to be really clear? It's going to be trickier this time because those civilizations didn't have CG. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, it's going to be a little trickier. I do, I do still think, and I've said this, someone could see all of those news cameras and still say, well, it's CG or it's a really big drone. They you could, know? but they'll be so minuscule. It won't matter at that point. Uh, Because the people who watch a particular news channel and that's the one they trust and there's so many of those, it it won't matter. The the voices of the people that are going, I still don't believe it, are going to be so far in the minority, it won't matter. It it just needs to be that universal. And And it can be a paradigm shift. It can be a classic Thomas Kuhn paradigm shift that actually something changes that means that there isn't a going back. There is a, and it can be a single small event that can trigger that it doesn't have to be ufos landing on the white house lawn it can be a series of smaller events that lead to that paradigm shift as the as the move generationally we move from people who just grow up thinking yeah ufos and the rest of this is normal and real right and now well, that you know, you know in we the just... last go ahead love I'm sorry, you had a delay and you came in no, late. That's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, Deb. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> um, so I was just going to say in the last few minutes that we have, let's talk a little bit about what we would like it to be, that paradigm shift and, and the catalyst for it. I know we talk about, you know, we want to be open-minded, but what would we like to see happen? Let's take turns doing that. Um, DJ, go ahead first since I uh, accidentally interrupted you. No, what what you've described. Well, I was going to say, you know, uh, piggybacking off of what Davey said, you know, we connected you with the middle school teacher who it turns out you're already connected with. She's offering a ufology elective in her middle school class. So that leads to going down the road of what Davey was talking about, where it's going to be more, they're going to grow up with that acceptance. Uh, but what you describe, I think is probably the way it has to go. Um, if, if, if we're, you know, going to get the furthest would be something that's irrefutable to the most amount of people. And then maybe have a sense of, 
of pulling together from a standpoint of these uh, world organizations that we're part of and uh, and saying, OK, we really need to study this. It needs to get out in the open and we need to just craft the narrative in such a way that it's not as frightening to people, but that it's but that it, it's existential nonetheless. OK, but what do you want it to be? OK, and when I say that, oh, I mean, the, what the phenomenon to be? Yes, I don't. What... I don't. You don't care. I don't know. Well, well, what that would be then I wouldn't be very scientific if I wanted it to be something. Okay. Okay. Well, you're 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 kind of being tricky with the answer, but I will I say it. I will. I'll say it. Okay. I want it to be aliens. Okay. Okay. I want it to yeah. be aliens. I, okay. That's fine. I you're, know you're entitled. I will be so disappointed if human beings come out and even if they're from a different planet, I'll just be like, oh, man. Damn it. <laughs> I'm going back in my house and more hamburger helper. I'm, I'm like, come on. We already got some of you guys. I know some of them probably are. And I think that, that we might have ancestry with that, by the way. And that's a whole other conversation. But if the ones that come out the first time are just humans, I mean, I'm going to be like, oh, I, I actually told DJ, I think it's going to be the hybrid kids that come out and communicate with us Ooh. the first time because we will probably not shoot them. Wow. Oh, yeah, I just I, kind of. I never, do you know what? I'd never, yeah, I'd never thought that. Seriously, never thought that. Crikey. By the way, they're scary. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. I, 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 I was told that and, uh, and when I meditated, which, by the way, I also forgot to mention that there's different levels, apparently, like meditation, trance, remote viewing, all that stuff. We really probably don't have time to go into that. Maybe another time. Absolutely. But, um, but, but I want to get you to say what you want it to be. I think it's just an interesting thing to think about. What you want it to be. Don't be afraid to just say what you want. Do you know that this was, is where that I was pressure. This, yeah, this this is where this is where the the Davy that we've had all the way through this conversation flips. Okay. So this is what I want to happen. I want Neil deGrasse Tyson and Brian Cox to be abducted by aliens. <laughs> There, said it. They, but but oh, not probed, right? Not probed. No, well, yeah. If they want to, oh. they want to. I mean, I mean, but yeah, these pe these people who are so reductionist, materialist scientists, who, as my my father very wittily said, they've got to dick heart before the horse. It's not a case <laughs> of I think because I am. You are, but oh. I want them. These people who say, oh, yeah, if they were here, we'd know about it. No, yeah, no, no, right. No. I know, like Elon. I'd yeah. love that. Yeah, it's, I'd love it. It's so I lo funny because you guys I, went on the opposite ends with that. One went, I want the scientists to get what they want. The other said, oh, I want the scientists to get something. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, I think I love Dave even more now after this episode. Um, I got a couple things to say, and I have to go take a turnabout because I'm supposed to walk every hour so that my body gets used to walking. Um so, Davey, uh, I think we want to have you on an experience or a panel that we'll do. You know, Deb has actually talked to me about getting another experience or panel. Steph, uh, Max, I mean, how can you leave Max on anything, damn it? But we got to get some new panelists on as well that we've never heard from. Um, and as far as uh, my trip to the UK, I'm looking now the way that the project's gone. I'm looking more like December, January. So I'll make sure that everybody's informed so that I can... When I finish work, I can just take leave for a few days and come and meet up and Marvelous. have, have some beers. So. I cannot wait for that. Yep, it's going to be Bless fun. Bless you. 
and Deb, thank you for just being Deb, I guess, really, right? Yeah, thank you. I've, I work really hard at being myself. It's really, it's, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I just wake up. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the invitation, Davey. We'll be talking again soon, okay? And I'll make sure I DM you my number on Signal and, and uh, WhatsApp in case you want to talk. All right? Thank you, brother. And look after that hip. Our brother, thank you. Thank you, Deb. Bye-bye. Thank Namaste. you. Bye, Cheers. DJ. Namaste. Namaste. Okay, so Davey, I, I know that we're um, at the end point. I want you to get to say any final words you want to say. Um, you still didn't completely answer the question. I guess you said aliens. Is that what you went with? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. Not from Zeta Reticuli, but aliens. They don't need to have, like, we're never going to understand where they're from. Like, we just aren't there yet unless they take us there, right? Like, that part... Okay, I'm just one of those people who doesn't care where they're from. I want to know that, like, the people. I think of them as people. You know, it's a little bizarre to think of them that way to some people. But, like, they're people. I want to know the people. Having immediately just said to you that they're aliens, I got a tingle on the top of the head. And I got the whole Whitley Strieber thing. Mm -hmm. We're, We're a larvae or a pupil stage. They're us when we bloom into butterflies. That's what came in at that moment. And I hadn't thought about that before. Mm. So maybe that's my new answer. Okay. Well, I just want to point <laughs> this out. Uh, when you think about it, we all came from supposedly one spot. We all burst out from that big bang. All of the material in the whole universe is shared. So we are all connected. We are all, like, yes, they may, be, may have ended up on a different rock. And they may have gone down a different path, but we are really all connected. No matter what exists and where it, it is, we're all together, one family, right? Um, and it's ridiculous when people try to draw lines and ridiculous invisible borders between countries, too, or try to draw lines based on things like gender or race or age. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. We're all a big family. We're all together on this together. Uh, what will blow your mind also, though, is when you start thinking about, yes, but who started that Big Bang and what is the universe inside of? But that's another conversation also, and one I've definitely broached with some people and apparently so have remote viewers. But we'll get to that another time. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> if you go listen to my conversation with Enzo, I asked him what's on the outside of the universe. Oh. It's not a long part of it. We did also go into dinosaurs and some other cool things. But um, I definitely, you know, I have these thoughts all the time. Um, but all of the, those of us who are in the universe are together. And we need to start having that re- revelation, right? And maybe uh, try to figure out how to safely get back together um, now that we've been separated for some time. To quote Bill Hicks, we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. Exactly. And if you get down the spiritual path, there's a whole lot to that. Um, So, because I had not heard the term God source um, externally. I heard it from meditating. Um, That's where I learned about it. And then I found out that all of these experiences that I've had in meditation are very similar to other people's experiences. And that's what I meant by, you know, there's there's a like an Internet. <laughs> it's like an Internet, you know, so I th- 
And I learned about uh, a cord that connects us. And then I, I learned about a soul that is, is us, but is not us. And other people have seen them and they're light beings. Um, and I feel if I had to say, just to summarize, I know this is a whole nother conversation. I feel like there's a, a set of nodes. They're all part of God. You know, you don't ever necessarily get to see the original until maybe you die, right? And they're all part of God. And they all connect to the, the cords that connect to us. And we're all connected to that. Um, even the ones that us, of us that are not on this planet. So. True. I That's the, the internet of the universe. So <laughs> hopefully we'll get to see our cousins. <laughs> <laughs> our relatives. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, right. Avi could be right. They could be just all all the AI. They might not be brave enough to come see us. Who knows? We don't know yet. No, they will. They will. Maybe. Yes. Uh, or they could all just be here hiding and going, Man, those humans are scary. <laughs> I don't know. I hope that's not the case, but we'll so figure it out. So thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. Hopefully we'll de definitely get to have another one of these conversations. It sounds like you'll get to be on cab with the experiencer panel. So that's great. Um, please um, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Davey Johnston. Um, you can also find me on Facebook on DJ Yoga, which is my yoga page on Facebook. Yeah, I don't I'm I'm just going to let you know something amusing is, you know, your initials are DJ. My initials are DJ. And then we had DJ on here. <laughs> right. So it's a, it was a triple Perfect. DJ event. And I guess. <laughs> I guess podcasting is a little like DJing because I did that in college. It's similar. It's similar. Okay. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to have your links in the description. And for to everyone who is listening, thank you for listening. Um, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings Podcast Network. If you're looking for me, you guys can find me at Study of UAPs on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. And you can also find me with the Calling All Beings show on YouTube. Thank you and take care.